0: Hello everybody and welcome out. Uh, My name's Scott Durfee and uh, I'm joined today by David Durfee, good friend and uh, family member, my uncle. We're super excited to be bringing to you what we hope to be uh, a rewarding experience, not just for us, but for you. We know it will be for us, undoubtedly. Uh, The name of this podcast is Redeemed Through His Blood a discussion of hope, healing, and redemption. We had made a, a command decision on this very first iteration of this podcast. Since we're so close to Easter, we hope to get this out in time for Easter. But nonetheless, this is what we'll be doing today. We will be focusing on Holy Week, the events of Holy Week. We may be trying to pull in some of the important uh, aspects and how they may relate to our individual lives, um, but before we do that, we'll want to do just do a couple of real quick intros. Uh, again, my name's Scott Durfee, uh, n- joined by our good friend David Durfee. I'm going to have David introduce himself and say a few things, and then we'll get this thing rocking and rolling.
1: Thanks, Scott. Yeah, good to be here with you. Um, so I'm a lot older than Scott. Scott's my nephew. Um, I was the youngest in my family, and Scott's the oldest in his family, so there's only about, what, eight years apart. Eight years, that's right. Eight yeah. years between us. Yep,
0: I'm the oldest in my family, <laughs> and my dad's the oldest in his family, so my and dad's... I'm the baby of that that's family,
1: right. and so Scott and I have always been pretty close with only eight years between us. And uh, growing up in the same town, and, and I'd get him and his little brother, Mark, to, to fight each other or watch them play football each, uh, against each other, and, and uh, so we've had a sweet relationship over the years, and this is fun for us to be together. So, uh, you know, I grew up in Utah, in American Fork, actually, and spent most of my life there and married my high school sweetheart and, and uh, went on a mission and came home. We lived in Highland for 15 years, and then I, uh, I was teaching seminary at the time and was invited to go back to the Midwest and went back to the midwest and enjoyed uh, coordinating and directing seminaries and institutes in the midwest it gave me the opportunity to travel throughout nine states and and uh, cover 60 stakes of the church out there and and uh, oversee and train seminary and institute teachers which was uh, so rewarding and such a blessing to our family our family was pretty much raised in many ways in Minnesota. We moved there when our oldest was 14 and uh, came back after being out there for 13 years. And uh, so we came back here and I taught Institute. Uh, The last part of my career was teaching Institute and um, was the director at the Institute of Religion at uh, Utah Valley University. So that's kind of my career before before my my life and career in seminaries and institutes. I was actually a stockbroker, for E. F. Hutton. That was that was kind of a rich experience for me. My major in school was finance, and I've always loved uh, that subject. But uh, no, I was led to teach in seminaries and institutes. So that's that's been my career. My church service has been. Varied. I've loved all the teaching positions and leadership positions I've held in the church. Um. So uh, I think that's probably enough about that, Scott.
0: I think that's pretty interesting, though. It's great stuff, Dave. Uh, Dave's right. You know, he's he's uh, he and I do come from the same area. Obviously, uh, being raised uh, very similarly, uh, coming from the uh, same lineage, so to speak, if you will. Right, Dave. So. Uh, you, you know, and Dave shares with you some really important things about his past, about his background. Married a great lady uh, and someone that as little kids when he was in high school, we all had a big crush on Chris, his wife. And uh, uh, for good reason, she's just an awesome lady. Dave, I,
1: I remember Coach Maurer telling me, he was the football coach, yeah. and, and uh, he told me, you, you're, you're lucky. You, you are marrying the prettiest girl in American Fork High School. And I think he
0: was right. I <laughs> think I, he was too, Scott. I'm, I'm actually I know, sure he was, know right. he was right. Yeah, that was <laughs> the opinion of your five young boy nephews at that time. That's definitely for sure. <laughs> so you can see that uh, you know Dave comes from a very um, solid background within the church. He's, he he uh, has just been a not just a great seminary and institute teacher, but sometimes even a favorite. At the school. I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard that at one time when he was teaching seminary at American Fork High School, that uh, among the student body, he was actually voted maybe the favorite teacher of the year. That's pretty uncommon. Is that true, Dave?
1: That was actually the first year I taught, Scott. It was at the American Fork Junior High School. Junior High. I don't know how you know that, but American Fork Junior High, they would, uh, ninth graders would vote for a favorite teacher, and, and they Anyway, that of the was... whole
0: school. Well, that is, so I and I only bring that up. Dave's blushing now, but the only reason I bring that up is to just you know speak to the quality of hopefully what you'll be able to expect here. A little bit about me. Uh, obviously, we were raised very similarly, where uh, the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ was extremely important. We were taught it. We were taught to pray. We were taught to have a relationship with our heavenly Father. We were taught about uh, kindness. We were taught the commandments. We were taught obedience. And all of those things. And some of us have a, a higher propensity to obedience, perhaps, than others. Uh, maybe some of us have a, a more of a propensity to the natural man. And I think I fall in the category, or have fallen, in the category of the latter, um, for for a good por- portion of my life. Um, I'm actually a recovering alcoholic. I have 20, uh, 23 years sober. It'll be twenty four years sober on October twenty sixth this year. Um, But I still went on a mission. I still had a testimony. I still have served in the church. I have All of those things. But there was just an awful lot of confusion in uh, natural man, if you will, confusion in Scott Durfee growing up. Uh, And and you're going to hear about that. We're going to talk about redemption. We're going to talk about the atonement of Jesus Christ. Kind of the purpose behind this podcast really is to help you and us and our brothers and sisters throughout the world who decide to engage and participate in what we have to do here, regardless of their religious background, regardless of where they've been. Uh, It's our purpose to share the hope of redemption through the atonement, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, as we do that, uh, we will be bringing in periodically, at least our plan is to bring in periodically, folks among us, our friends, some of our friends who have struggled uh, who have had life kick them in the teeth, as, as if you will, uh, who have had uh, problems, uh, whether of their own making or of, uh, of no choice of their own. And we're going to find out and uh, go down a discovery process where we'll be exploring the effects of the atonement in healing us, not just from sin, not just from separation from the divine, but from all things that are not like our Heavenly Father. Uh, And so that really falls into the category a very very broad category of everything that uh, it doesn't bring joy and happiness to us. So having said that, I think that sets us up well enough uh, to get into what uh, we've decided to talk about today again just to reiterate that we will be discussing the holy week of Easter, a great time today's Tuesday. Uh, of uh, the Holy Week, and so we are essentially three days into Holy Week here. If you'll remember, Palm Sunday, the, the triumphal entry, that would be the first day of the Holy Week, and then uh, uh, Monday and Tuesday, so and, and so on. We go. So from there, Dave, I'm going to let you uh, take it, and I'm going to uh, we'll, we're going to just have some discussion around those types of things for the next thirty or forty minutes.
1: Yeah, thanks, Scott. So we know more about, you know, Jesus lived uh, 33 years, give or take, and uh, we know more about what he said and what he did on Tuesday, today, of the last week of his life, more is recorded in the Gospels about what he said and did today than any other day of his life. Second would be Thursday the day of atonement and gethsemane when he's in the last supper and john records several chapters of what takes place in the upper room but we have six almost almost six chapters recorded in Matthew alone about what Jesus said and did on tuesday you know, uh, so let's back up for just a moment and and review that on Saturday or Friday of last week, Jesus makes his final last trip into Jerusalem. He goes to Bethany, which is just a few miles southeast of Jerusalem, up over the hill of, of the Mount of Olives. And he goes to Bethany, uh, which is a beautiful little town. I've been there. And uh, he stays at the home of Martha and Mary and Lazarus, same Lazarus that he called forth out of the tomb after being dead for four days, probably just a few months before this final week. And uh, actually, Lazarus becomes one of the greatest uh, signs or evidences of the divinity of Christ and the Jews, of course, uh, knowing that he was dead for four days and that Jesus uh, restores his life he becomes a, a, a kind of the uh, evidence of Jesus' divinity, which the Jews want to destroy, and there's a conspiracy on Lazarus' life. And that's where Jesus goes and stays, is at his home with Mary and Martha, his sisters. Um, and uh, he'll go back and forth to Jerusalem every day this final week, except Wednesday, and we believe that on Wednesday he just stayed in Bethany the whole day and rested and uh, got his uh, kind of strength and energy up for what was going to the awful events that were going to take place on Thursday and Friday.
0: What a uh, what a great time to be alive today, right? When we have all of this information, we have all of these insights, we have an opportunity now through the restoration of the gospel to have the Spirit testifying to us the truthfulness of the things that we're talking about, Dave. And you know, there's um, there's a, there's a I was listening to another podcast just yesterday uh, about these very things, and somebody was talking about how Bethany, being just shortly away from the walls of Jerusalem, was really kind of a place uh, where people went uh, that didn't fit necessarily in Jerusalem. And there was a distance—in fact, that's where—and correct me if I'm wrong, but were there— like lepers would go there and other people to heal because they weren't necessary. There had to be that space between Bethany and the walls of Jerusalem to protect the cleansing of the Jews. Is there some accuracy in that? Well, or? I think
1: I think one reason they say that Scott is because in one of the Gospels it says that he stayed at the home or he went to the home of Simon the leper, and in Bethany. Right. And we don't know if that's uh, Martha and Mary and Lazarus's dad. Or we don't know if that's another home, a neighbor, or we don't know anything about that. But uh, but apparently it's a leper that Jesus has healed. Whether that took place in Bethany or some other place, I don't know. So I don't know about uh, about so much about Bethany. But I think that's why maybe some people say that.
0: Well, nonetheless, the the importance here is is that uh, you know Jesus is about to step into not just the most important thing in his life, but the most important thing that's ever happened uh, in time and eternity. And in doing so, it's interesting to me, Dave, how he surrounded himself by those that he was close to. Uh, he he was with Martha and Mary, uh, people that he was close to. Obviously, Lazarus with, was a, a very close friend of his, and. Uh, You know, I I think that uh, in reflection, when those of us who are going before, and we know we're going to face tough times, and we have those come up in our lives, we have our own holy weeks, our our own preparations as we prepare to bear the crosses that we get to bear in our lives, uh, to go where he went, to be ministered to the way he was ministered to, and will be even later more. Uh, just speaks in my mind. Just speaks to the importance of not just our eternal relationships, but our eternal relationships as they are even existing here in this uh, in this existence too, Dave.
1: Well, we'll we'll probably say this several times, Scott, in this podcast. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, everything, everything. If you were to take all the doctrine, all the principles, all the practices, all the commandments, everything in the gospel, policies and procedures, everything. It comes down to one point, which is relationships. It comes down to sacred relationships with deity, with family, even, even coming to know ourselves and where we stand with God and with deity. And um, so I, I think that's a great point that, that you're making. Now, I- yesterday... Uh, Jesus went into Jerusalem, and uh, we know he went to the temple, and he cleansed the temple again. We have two recordings of him doing that. The first t- the first Passover, when he began his full-time ministry, he went to Jerusalem, and he cleansed the temple. And now for the second time, he goes there. And I actually believe it's possible that he went there three times and cleansed the temple maybe three times. Every time he goes to the temple during Passover, he cleanses the temple, and we don't know if he went there his second year of his ministry or not. There's no nothing recorded about that. And so he cleanses the temple yesterday. I think that speaks so much about his reverence and respect for the Father's uh, house and for who the Father was and for, for how he saw the temple, the house of the Lord. And uh, I think that's just a really important event that... Uh, that takes place yesterday. And he, on the way to Jerusalem, he sees this fig tree. And this fig tree doesn't have any blossoms or fruit. It's spring of the year. So a fig tree probably should have blossoms and maybe most of the other fruit trees did. And this this one didn't. And it's just a beautiful tree with leaves. It's become a shade tree and is no longer a fruit tree. And Jesus curses it. You know, we know of... So many examples, multitudes in some verses it says he healed multitudes it says that in multiple places in the gospels and this is the only thing of the only thing Scott that we know of that he killed was a fig tree. to make an, a critical point uh, when they go back to Jerusalem on Tuesday morning uh, he's with his disciples, they travel with him and and they notice that the fig tree is dead and they're amazed by that and uh, point that out in the gospels and i think it's a such a you know elder talmage in jesus the christ makes the point that this is one of his greatest uh, object lessons for teaching hypocrisy we are not meant to be fruit trees we are meant to bear fruit that was his point right yeah and he is going to offer us the uh, ultimate uh, fruit, it, by the way, of his atonement in just a few days after that event.
0: Yeah, so um, a, a lot of great things happening, you know, uh, and, and we're just starting now to scratch the surface of this holy week, and, you know, and we're going to invite you as listeners, as you're going through this with us, maybe take your notepad out, maybe start making a few notes of impressions you might be having about, how does this apply to me, and how can my life be better enriched? by applying some of the principles that maybe the Spirit's moving us to, uh, to act upon. Uh, you know, one of the things that we're, we're going to be talking about uh, throughout the process of this podcast as we go week to week is how our lives can become better through a relationship with the the uh, divine, uh, through the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But we know, and, and, we're, and we're commanded, actually, we're commanded, we're told uh, in Scripture that this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And, you know, be, it's, it's, it's so important that we know Jesus Christ. Knowing him gives us the opportunity to really understand his love for us, to really understand the direction that he took when he came to fulfill his promise, in response, not uh, as a not as a um, reaction to, but in planning for the fall of us all. And so, you know, as that happened, and as we uh, start to realize and recognize and learn some of these, not just fun things, but some of these really important things about the Savior Jesus Christ in His uh, last week of his life, um, how important it would be maybe that uh, we, we understand and we decide uh, how to make that applicable in our own lives. Yeah, good,
1: Scott. And uh, so on Tuesday, the day that's where there's more written word about what Jesus said and did than any other day, we, we have him again going to the temple, and, uh, boy, he I think, I think if there's two things Jesus hates, and it seems pretty clear as last week that they become evident, is uh, he hates people mocking his father, or he hates irreverence of sacred things. That's evidenced by his cleansing of the temple. And the second thing is he hates, and I, I'm, I don't think I'm using that word too strong, he hates... Self righteousness, and uh, he this this day when he goes to the temple on Tuesday, he he really lets the Pharisees and the Sadducees have it. He's he's held back some somewhat, and now he is he's calling them out, uh, and he's calling them white as sepulchers, and uh, he just really lets them have it. He tells them that a widow who pays a mite, he observes this widow paying a mite at the temple, and tells them that she's more righteous than all of them combined. And uh, so he, he just really lets the Pharisees and the Sadducees have it. He gives some pretty uh, hard uh, parables, which of course goes right over the top of their head because they don't understand them. And he's, he has saved these parables, I think, for some time. Uh, to give this day uh, the parable of the two sons, the parable of the wicked husbandman, the parable of the 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 wedding of the king's son the the 10 virgins the parable of the talents and the parable of the sheep and goats teaching tuesday this is this that's a good yeah teaching tuesday is probably a good way to say it and uh, he he finishes the day scott so sacred and we're so blessed because we have the restored gospel that we know more about this than anyone else in the world is that he goes up on the Mount of Olives with just his disciples, and he talks about his second coming, and he gives all the signs of his second coming. This is about Matthew 24, and uh, Joseph Smith, of course, in jo- the Joseph Smith translation, and in the Pearl of Great Price, we have Joseph Smith Matthew, in which uh, we have additional information. And then Doctrine and Covenant section 45, Joseph Smith has this vision of, of uh, Jesus Christ on the Mount of Olives on Tuesday, teaching his disciples, and we have even additional signs and times of what Jesus gave his disciples. So we have, we have three sources of what happened on the Mount of Olives Tuesday night, which was uh, Matthew 24, Joseph Smith, Matthew, and Doctrine and Covenants section 45. And these, these really deserve our attention to know what we need to do in order to prepare for the second coming of Jesus Christ, so I think uh, Matthew 24 and the, the other sources that we have are are really deserve our attention, and they take place on Tuesday evening on the Mount of Olives. He he weeps on the Mount of Olives for Jerusalem, and and uh, the next day is Wednesday, and we don't know anything that happened Wednesday, and that sets us up for. Uh, atonement thursday
0: which is uh undoubtedly unarguably the most important um kind of the culmination And and it's not just that date not just that event but as that starts to take place on thursday and we see now the the real apex of everything that jesus christ was sent to earth to perform uh, for and in behalf of all of us. What a great uh, opportunity it is now for us to embrace that and to, through our obedience and through our love of the Savior, To express that to other people that we come in contact with, everybody around us is our brother and sister, and you know Jesus Christ has made this an opportunity, made this possible uh, for us to be able to share this, to share this great news with each other. And I'm just grateful that we're having that opportunity to do it, Dave.
1: Yeah. So uh, on Thursday, Scott. um, Now let's let's remember that uh, their calendar, Jewish calendar, is a little bit different than ours. I'm talking, I've been talking about our, the days based on our rendering of time, which is a, a Gregorian calendar or a Roman calendar, which is determined by the sun. The Jews' calendar was determined by the moon. And uh, a new day began at sunset. So when the sun set, uh, that would be the beginning of a new day. So for Jesus and the Jews at this time, uh, their day was up until the evening. And, uh, and so it's, it's Thursday up until the evening. And so it really begins their Friday at sunset. And at that point, really, the disciples with Jesus have gathered together in the upper room in, in Jerusalem. And Jesus begins to, to teach them. And uh, some of his greatest teachings are recorded in the in the gospel of John uh chapters uh thirteen, fourteen, fifteen sixteen there th- these are these are just some of his greatest teachings on you know a new commandment I give unto you, um love one another as I have loved you uh he talks about uh, the discourse on the comforter. Uh, He talks about the true vine. I think that's one of my favorite passages in these chapters is John 15, 1 through 5. I am the vine, he says. Ye are the branches. Without me, ye can do nothing. And then he teaches them to, of course, love one another, and he uh, identifies his betrayer. Before all of this... Scott, this has always been so touching to me about the character of Jesus, is that he knows, of course, who his betrayer is going to be, Judas, one of the twelve. And Judas is in the room, and before Judas leaves and he's identified by Jesus, he washes his feet. When Jesus washes the feet of his disciples in the upper room, Judas is there and Jesus washes Judas's feet. I just think that is just unbelievably tender about uh, how Judas um, is loved by Jesus Christ. I don't think Jesus in any way had any ulterior motive in doing that. It wasn't to make him feel worse about it, what he was going to do. It was a- a- actually maybe... I mean, Jesus knew how all this was going to play out, and Jesus wanted him to know that he that he loved him, and uh, I, I. So all of those events happen, and then about nine p.m., they sing a hymn. They end with singing a hymn, and uh, which was typical. That was kind of the Jewish tradition at the t- at, at partaking of the Passover, and. Uh, they he goes to gethsemane i think this is a place where he has identified the uh, gethsemane literally means the press the oil press this, i've been there i've seen the 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 vat which uh, they would make crush olives in the stones and the olives uh, with these uh, this huge stone that would roll around in this big uh, rock uh, barrel shape and they would crush olive pits and this is a place where uh, Jesus's uh, heart is crushed and Jesus uh, were like uh, the oil out of olives would ooze out of out of these this hole in this uh, stone vat ooze would blood would ooze out of Jesus's pores and that that takes place that event which we can talk more about in a minute uh, between nine p.m. and and midnight, he's there for three hours.
0: You know, if let's go back just real quick to uh, the experience with Judas. You know, to uh, wash the feet of uh, Judas Iscariot when he knows full well what's coming, and you know, and Judas had kind of tipped his hand. It, it, this Judas had had some. Um, issues, maybe, maybe with money, there's been some speculation around that. Right? Oh, no, he did. Because he held the purse, you know, and there was all that too. And, and Jesus is fully aware of all that, you know? And so I think, you know, when have I been Judas? I think, and, and, and we're going to learn later that, you know, Peter also denied the Christ. And, you know, and so each one of these situations, I think it's so easy for us in Christendom to just jump right into harsh judgment towards Judas. And I don't think that that's necessarily wrong for us to think, oh my gosh, Judas, what were you thinking? But at the same time, to have the kind of love displayed from Jesus Christ, from his Lord and Savior, my Lord and Savior, even though, even though... He knew what was coming, uh, even though he knew what had already come. I think that just deepens my uh, love of the Savior because because he was able to see past and to love Judas in spite of all of that. I know he has the ability to do that. I haven't betrayed him like that right? I mean, I, there have been times in our lives, all of our lives, when we go contrary, when we live our lives contrary to the teachings of Jesus Christ. That's the natural man in all of us. That's why this event was so important to take place, not just as a backup plan, just in case Scott's not good enough, just in case Dave's not good enough, just in case Judas Iscariot or whatever betrays me. All of that, to know that he knew that anyway and displayed that kind of love to Judas gives me all kinds of comfort that he can love me still, too.
1: Yeah. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about Judas. We need to focus on Jesus. But, uh, you know, Judas doesn't have the Holy Ghost, Scott. Yeah, They, they don't have the gift of the Holy Ghost yet. It won't come until Pentecost. Right. And um, uh, I think it's pretty clear that we believe that uh, Judas was definitely not a son of perdition. Judas, we don't know where Judas, Judas will be. We can't judge him. We shouldn't uh, try to, you know, what he did was wrong. It was evil. Uh, certainly he gave in to temptation and greed or whatever. I mean, 30 pieces of silver was, uh, you know, price of a slave in the Old Testament. And for him to basically sell Jesus out that way uh, but we, we it's hard to know what he was thinking. It's hard to know, and we don't want to be harsh, but apparently he felt so bad about it after the events of Friday and the crucifixion took place that it's recorded that Jesus went out and killed himself uh, just south in a field in, uh, not far from Gethsemane. So um, maybe there's still hope for, for Judas. Who knows? Uh, Jesus, uh, between 9 p.m. on our Thursday, on their Friday night, um, he he goes and he falls down, and it's so interesting that, that Matthew records, he fell on his face. Luke says that he knelt, uh, and we have great pictures of Harry Anderson and others who show him kneeling at a rock, right? And I love those pictures, but I, there's a few paintings that I think depict it, more, depict it more accurately, showing Jesus falling on his face. I mean, he is flat out. He is laid out when he's uh, praying. Uh, Luke says he's kneeling too, so I think it's both. I think he does kneel, but, but eventually he is laid out uh, when he's uh, feeling, the, the pain for, uh, feeling all of the suffering for the pains and sicknesses of his people. And uh, he bleeds from every pore. Um, I, I, there, there is a medical condition where that's been observed, not from every pore, but where someone is experiencing such great pain and anxiety uh, that uh, there's a little pink, uh, maybe mi- uh, blood, mingled with some sweat. Uh, we believe, Scott... We're the, only, we're the only Christian church in the world that really knows that Jesus bled from every pore. Most churches don't even believe there was any blood in his sweat. That's, that's a medical term called hematidrosis. Hema, blood, and, and drosis sweat. It's bloody sweat is what that term means. It's been observed a couple times in medical history, uh, but no one else believes he bled from every poor. That was first taught by Bo- King Benjamin in the Book of Mormon, Mosiah 3.7, and then Jesus himself in the Revelation uh, t- through the prophet Joseph Smith, the NC 19, reaffirms that. He bled from every poor. So we're really blessed to have the restoration to uh, give us a, a glimpse, which is totally incomprehensible, how much he, he really suffered there.
0: I think that uh, bleeding from every pore really gives it a uh, exclamation point at the end of the sentence that Jesus died for us, right? I mean, uh, I don't know that, and you say that it's been observed a couple of times in medical history, not the full body, uh, you know, giving off this uh, phenomenon. But to have that at all and to have that full body, I, I mean, I, just really to me, Goes into the depth of, he didn't just give his life for us, man. He really suffered. He really, it it wasn't just go in and die. It was a go in and I got to pay for Scott's sins right here. And I got to pay for Dave's sins. And I got to pay for, and not just my sins, but all of the things in my life that have been messed up. All of the things that that may have happened to me, things that I may have perpetuated on others.
1: Injustices. All of them. Inequalities. Yes. Every negative, Scott, every negative that we suffer that we didn't choose is covered by the atonement of Jesus Christ. Now, you think about that. All of the pains and sicknesses and abuses that we suffer because of the fall of Adam and Eve in a fallen, wicked world that happened to all of us, probably daily, All of that is covered unconditionally by the atonement of Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, and I I think as we get into this uh, redemption concept in in coming weeks, we probably won't take time to spend with it much today, but in coming weeks, we're really going to be focusing, I think, Dave, on how that applies to all of us. And you say, you know, all of those things that happened to us that we didn't choose, I might submit that even some of the—not some of the— I even submit that all of the stuff, even that we did choose— that brought pain on us was paid for there. I it, it was completely covered. We do need to repent. It, it requires yeah, a turn. So that's conditional. One hundred percent right. It, that, that requires us to turn away from and face the Savior. Put our back towards, which is a, another word for repentance. To turn our back on something and turn and face the Savior. Uh, well, that all took place, even though, even yeah, even with the the, uh, the and I, believe, I made.
1: I believe, Scott, that he suffered it, even if we don't repent. I or...
0: agree with that. Well, it says that.
1: I think everything was covered. Yeah. And we're all going to know after this life when we see him that he suffered it, whether we repented of it or not. And we all will see him, whether we repent or not. We'll talk about that in this course as well. Right. That all of us will return to the presence of God. Even the most wicked will return to the presence of God. That's That's what the atonement covered. We left God's presence, and because of the atonement of Jesus Christ, we're going to return to his presence. And, and his atonement made that possible. That's right. So uh, I don't know where we're going to be on Thursday, everyone that's listening to this. I don't know where you're going to be. But I hope Thursday night you're thinking about what happened uh, 2,000-something years ago in the Garden of Gethsemane. I hope you're thinking about it. Um, and on Friday morning... You know, I hope that we're thinking about it. Uh, he goes through a mockery of a trial. The Jews break their own law by having a a, a judgment or a trial through the through the middle of the night, and uh, then in the morning he's taken to Pilate. They take him to Pilate, and and he's uh, he's accused of sedition and treason, and and Pilate uh, sends him to uh, to Herod. This all is in the morning, between six and nine a.m. And he sends him to Herod, and Herod, uh, uh, who Jesus is called a fox, uh, puts a purple robe on him and sends him back to Pilate because Jesus won't even speak to Herod, who's the governor of Galilee and is only in Jerusalem because it's Passover, and he's hypocritically celebrating Passover. And uh, so he sends him back to Pilate, and by by then Pilate knows and uh this, I guess the straw that breaks the camel's back, is, so to speak, is when uh, Pilate says, it's according to your own law, you can let one prisoner go free. I find Jesus to be guiltless. So I offer him to let him go free, to uh, find him innocent. Or I'll give you Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is a, in one of the Gospels called a murderer. He's a thief and a murderer. Uh, or you can let him go free. And the Jews prefer to let him go free, a murderer, than to let Jesus go free. And some in the crowd, I'm sure led by the Sadducees and Pharisees in the Sanhedrin, begin to chant, uh, crucify him, crucify him. And so uh, Pilate uh, washes his hands and uh, sends him to be scourged at 9 a.m. He's, uh, after carrying his own cross, is uh, nailed to the cross at 9 a.m., And from 9 a.m., this is important, from 9 a.m. to uh, noon, he makes some comments. And then at 12 noon, all of Gethsemane reoccurs on the cross. It's wrong for us to think that Jesus paid for all of our sins in Gethsemane. That was not finished until he said it was finished at 3 p.m. on Friday. All of the events from Gethsemane until he dies at 3 p.m. on Friday is part of the suffering uh, and that allows him to not only forgive but gives him divine empathy uh, for the sins and sicknesses of the people and gives him power to become who he, who he is. Uh, so at noon he cries out. This is when all of Gethsemane reoccurs, intensified, according to Elder Talmage and Elder McConkie, Gethsemane intensified because he cries out. It goes dark. There's no light, and he cries out, "My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me?" Now it's not just his three disciples who, uh, kind of in Gethsemane, has, but now he he acknowledges that. He's all alone, and that God has withdrawn His presence, so that he can experience total spiritual death. That's what he suffered on the cross and in Gethsemane, which caused him to bleed from every pore. But it, I, I just think it's important that we, we we as latter-day saints don't, in my opinion, don't talk enough about the cross. We know why we don't display it. We know why it's not an image. In, in our in our faith. But we don't talk about it enough and we don't understand the 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 great suffering that really occurred there and the and the role it played in in him carrying out the the atonement. In fact, he chooses Scott to talk about the crucifixion. I was crucified for the sins of the world, he says, six times in the doctrine and covenants he says that. He only chooses to talk about Gethsemane one time in the Doctrine and Covenants, in D&C 19. But over and over again, he focuses on the suffering on the cross. So the culmination and the climax of his suffering does not take place in Gethsemane, but on the cross, and by 3 p.m. he's dead. And then Saturday, of course, he's in, they have to hurry and bury him because their Sabbath begins Friday night, and he's dead on Saturday in the spirit world, and on Sunday morning, of course, is what we remember and celebrate as as his resurrection in Easter.
0: And that's what we'll be celebrating this Sunday as we celebrate Easter here, and... Uh, you know, I, I, so many things go through my mind as you just went through the the accounts of the, the especially Friday, uh, Thursday too. You know, as uh, Jesus did go through all of the suffering that he went through. You know, and and we think about it. We've taught been taught this since we were little kids in Sunday school, for those of us who have been around that long, and for those of us who haven't, we've still been taught this. We're taught it all the time. We hear that you know. Why hast thou forsaken me? And he's talking to his father, you know. And I never really thought about it, Dave, that he had to go through that spiritual death as well. Can you expound on that just a little bit, maybe?
1: Well, I, I think again, when we when we sin, when we sin and we remove ourselves, we turn our back on God, and we deny ourselves His His presence. Uh, Jesus had to feel the absolute depths of that. I believe he felt to some degree what even sons of perdition must feel, where there's no light, where there's complete, utter darkness. Uh, he had to feel this for all of the sons and daughters of God who will experience it in order to really meet the demands of justice and mercy, the laws of justice and mercy which he was which he was fulfilling and so that everyone no one will say that he didn't suffer for me that he doesn't right. know how i feel yeah he suffered it all
0: and he suffered it all he suffered it all not just our pain i mean not just our sin he didn't suffer just for our sin he suffered it all so we have friends dave who uh, have dealt with cancer we have friends uh, in common who have dealt with the loss of children we have friends in common and, and even you and i have even had these types of things in our lives where friends family ourselves whatever uh, by our own choices or by the choice of others and uh, brothers and sisters you felt that too uh, our listeners, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, however you want to identify yourselves, but you have felt that too. And to know that there's hope. You know, when when Pilate brought Jesus before the crowd, he had a question for them. He says, what would you have me do with this Jesus who you call Christ, right? Right. And so, you know, I think that's a question that uh, we need to consider in our own lives. What would we do? What do we do? How do we approach Jesus Christ in our own lives? And are we, are we, and this is to me the most important question, at least in this moment, but are we using and applying Those things that were so freely given to us in the pains and depths of Gethsemane, culminating on the cross on Golgotha, and uh, even still that are uh, rippling into eternity, front and back of that event. I mean, it it covered everything that had happened, covered everything that will happen, all in that one moment. So I, you know, I go back to that. uh, My my sweet wife and I, Deb, we uh, happen to have a calling to teach Institute uh, Brigham Young. University uh, in a YSA stake right now, and we're teaching this. We're actually teaching a, uh, a course that Dave had developed as part of his seminaries and institute experiences, and we're using a book from Elder Anderson, The Divine Gift of Forgiveness, as our curriculum. And, you know, one of the things that uh, I, I find that as we go to our institute class each week and we see these bright, young, wonderful young people, some have been on missions, some haven't yet, some won't go, some will go, some have faced challenges and trials that I have a really difficult time even wrapping my my mind around some of the challenges and difficulties that these young people face on a constant basis today. You know, and I think that as we ask ourselves that that question, the question that you know of all people, Pilate asked, "What would you do with this Jesus Christ?" Um, I think that's a question that, as we go through this week, and maybe Thursday, in those quiet moments, you know, that you suggested for us, Dave, uh, uh, during the Last Supper, between what again, six and nine p.m. During that period.
1: Well, that's when he, six, six to nine is probably when they're partaking of the their yeah. passover meal.
0: I hope that uh, we can put ourselves in the seat of that upper room. I hope that we can put ourselves in the in the uh, the fold if you will of Jesus Christ in that moment and and realize that uh, you know maybe we were there with him. I know that uh, my trials were there. I know that the uh, things that so easily beset me and mess me up, I know they were there for sure. And so uh, you know, there's just so much richness, so many things that uh, I take and can take from the things that we're talking about here. But those are a couple of things, Dave, that really uh, kind of poignantly hit me today as we're discussing this. Well, thank thank you, Scott.
1: I think maybe it's appropriate. Are we getting near ending time here?
0: We've got about 15 minutes still.
1: Uh, you know, uh, Scott, I, this is this scripture is so powerful, and I think about it. And you kind of raised the question, you know. I wonder if we observed this, we would have been in the pre mortal existence, those of us who were born after this happened. I wonder how much the people in the spirit world would have maybe been able to be aware of this. Um, uh, I wonder how many really witnessed it. Um, I'm sure there were angels there you know, who strengthened him. We know that. We right. know, yeah, according to Elder McConkie, he, he described the angel who came to strengthen him as as Adam or Michael, who came to strengthen him in Gethsemane. And this is another reason why the cross was worse than Gethsemane. In Gethsemane, at least he had an angel there to strengthen him. On the cross, there was no one there. Right. He was all... Completely forsaken. Utterly, completely alone. But I wonder where we were. And I, I, when I, every time I read the, the words of Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, which is also recorded in the Book of Mormon because Abinadi quoted from it, uh, Abinadi teaching King Noah, he reads these verses. And I think this is about Thursday and Friday, the, the events of Easter. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. This uh, passage, I often think, was I, was I witnessing this? Was it, was it so bad that I turned my face around because I couldn't observe it, was it? Was did I know, did I have some idea before I was ever born about what Jesus had done for me? I'd like to think that's, that's possible, that even before we were born, we not only knew the plan of redemption, but maybe we had witnessed it. Yeah. That maybe we had seen it. Yeah. And maybe the reason we turn our faces from him maybe maybe Isaiah is saying every time we sin we turn our faces from him. But maybe another reason someone can turn their face from observing these events in Gethsemane and on the cross is because it's just too hard to watch. Right. And I think that that I think more of us maybe Saw it, and that we were aware of it. Uh, those of us who live now, we we could have maybe known more about those events in the pre-mortal existence, and those in the spirit world could have maybe some of them maybe could have observed it as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I and you know, and as as we talk about that, and we don't know for sure. I mean, you know, you're getting into uh, some really interesting uh, concepts that I think that. Uh, are, are important for us to consider. But th- it, I can see myself uh, watching that if, that, if that did happen, just based on the way my personality has developed in this life, um, I can see myself watching that and swearing, I promise you, you will never have to pay for any of my sins. I'm going to make sure that none of that suffering is mine. And, you know, and we see that, you know, I happen to, I, I'm a little bit, uh, they call Peter impetuous, impetuous Peter or whatever, you know, I kind of tend to be that way too. He wanted to go out and fix everything, fight everything and blah, blah, blah. And he just couldn't do it. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, there, there may have been some of us that had that approach and here we come to life and here we, uh, immediately, which is part of the plan, right? Uh, the, the plan was that, uh, transgression would bring all of this, uh, uh, possibility about. And so, uh, you know, I can just see that then. But now, what do I do with it? And I go back to the question what do you do with this Jesus Christ? And Scott Durfee, what do I do with this Jesus Christ? That has to be a question that I personally need to assess uh, and on a pretty consistent basis. You know, as part of the uh, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, we have a 10th step, and that 10th step says, I continue to take personal inventory, and when I'm wrong, I properly admit it. And it, As part of that 10th step for me, I, it, that just means I need to take personal inventory too with where is my relationship with Jesus Christ, and I need to do it on a pretty consistent basis because when I don't, That's when I, all of a sudden, will wake up one day and ask myself, where am I and how the heck did I get here? Figuratively speaking, meaning that have I wandered away? Have I, too, turned my face from Him? And getting back to, you know, as we turn our face from Him or we turn away from Him, we know that repentance means turning back to face Him, and that's how we re-engage.
1: Well, maybe this is too hard of a question for you to answer right now, Scott, but, you know... For many many years, I have been drawn back over and over again to this quote by President David O. McKay, and uh, I've often I've wondered is is that is it really is that really true? Anyway, he said in conference of 1951, "What you sincerely in your heart think of Christ will determine." who you are and will largely determine what your acts will be. So I don't know, Scott, as you think about that, going back to 20 something years ago when you were really struggling. You know, w- you went on a mission. You I know I remember your mission. You were extremely successful. As, as a missionary, I remember how proud your dad was in telling me, you know, your your experiences and and opportunities as a missionary in Seattle. And I remember all of that, but what happened after your mission where what, whatever you thought of Jesus was not what you should have thought of Jesus? Because if this statement is true, what President McKay says is true, what you, in your heart of hearts, think of Jesus Christ will determine your acts. I don't know. What do you think of that?
0: Yeah, I, I, I've i thought that. I've, I've read that, and I've heard that. And, and um, I know that there. if you were to ask my friends in recovery, if you were to ask my friends in my elders quorum, if you were to ask my friends, you might get a bunch of different answers because I don't know that that... Uh, I don't know—so there's a thing called um, absolute truth, and then there's things that are more relatively true, meaning that, you know, that could be more true for me than somebody else— but this is coming from a prophet of God who's saying this stuff, right? And he's saying that if my heart's right, then my actions are going to be right. Or how I feel about and think about Jesus Christ in my heart, that will drive and influence my not just my actions, but the way, yeah, my actions and the way I interact and treat uh, people and respond to things that may not be so favorable. And you know, and I think that, Dave, this is one of those things that w- we are going to get into uh, and, and p- potentially be able to answer that question for all of us as we go through this process. But the answer for sure is, is your heart, it was, so I'm going to make it about me. Was my heart right when I was making decisions that were wrong? The answer is obviously no. You know, um, but, but at the same time, and I, and I, and I will say this, I think I will say this uh, forever. uh, I never doubted uh, my testimony. I never doubted that Jesus Christ loved me. I never, uh, that might not be a hundred percent true. I think there were times when I think that there were, uh, there was clouding of that understanding, mm-hmm. right? I think that I was able to be clouded through the adversary because I, my, by my actions and are na- now inviting the spirit of the enemy to be a part of my life. And when that's there, those two spirits can't t- be together in the same place. And so I think that there's a real, uh, a, a bunch of confusion that can come around those things. Another one of the real blessings that comes from the atonement is to clear those types of confusions, right? And so, uh, yeah, I'm not going to be able to answer it completely and entirely, but there's a lot of dynamics around that. Well, I
1: think it. I think it's a pretty um, definitive statement that yeah, he makes that whatever in your heart you think of Jesus will determine your your actions, and. Uh, I I know that that may not be true in every single case, Yeah. but I know that when we sin, we're not thinking of Jesus. Yeah,
0: that's exactly right.
1: And we're not keeping the commandment given to us in uh, Doctrine and Covenants Section 6 in this powerful uh, invitation or commandment. I think this is not just a suggestion or invitation. I think it's a commandment, and I... I don't think Jesus gives any commandments that we can't keep, right? First Nephi 3, seven, But listen to this. Look unto me in every thought. Doubt not, fear not. Doubt not, fear not. Wow. That's the commandment yeah. that so many of us break yeah. multiple times a day. Yep. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm being too strong to call it a commandment. I don't know, but it sounds like one. It sounds like an imperative to me. And I don't even know if that's possible to look unto Jesus in every thought and to go through a day without doubting and to go, with it, uh, go through a day without fearing. But, but he, goes, he goes just a little further here. And in the ne- very next verse, he says, Behold the wounds. Behold the wounds which pierced my side and also the prints of the nails in my hands and feet. He's saying every day, we should be thinking about what happens this Friday. Right. Every day. Every day. Right. Every day should be in our mind. We should remember. And we make we make that covenant every Sunday. We take we the do. sacrament. That's right. That we will remember. Remember what? Remember the last week of Jesus's life. Remember the last few days of His life. Remember His suffering. Uh, remember him and it's so interesting that he again focuses on the cross here Right. behold the wounds behold the wounds which pierce my side and the prince of the nails in my hands and feet be faithful keep my commandments including this one he just gave us and ye shall inherit the kingdom of heaven so I, I think that's really powerful and something that we should all consider how we can improve on is how can we think of Jesus more often? That's, I guess that's one reason why I'm interested in doing this podcast, Scott, is, is uh, to help myself and to help others, to be able to think of him more often and, uh, and to uh, remember and to, to look into the wounds and to think about the atonement and especially his redemption through his blood, that uh, if all of us would think more about, it would change not just uh, ourselves, but it would change our, our family, and it would change our world.
0: Yeah, it really would. Yeah, that, that, that's just so true. You know, as we, uh, as we start digging into and diving into these uh, sacred, sacred holy principles that uh, provide hope, health, healing, um, and, and, and ultimately joy, I think it's really important. You know, you, you go through and you, when we talk about um, all of the things that have happened in this Holy Week. And we and we talk about, you know, why do we need to know this? Every Sunday we have that reminder. And you just alluded to it. You know, every Sunday we, we add an altar— um, partake of emblems that are sacred emblems—the body, the blood—and as we're doing so, we're remembering and we're covenanting and we're renewing covenants. Uh, you know, and, and we are commanded, or we we have covenanted to remember Him. Um, and I think that I think about that, you know. And I I know that uh, you know we're we're getting uh, close on time here, and uh, we'll we'll kind of wrap up here in the next few minutes. But I just want to say this. I think that you know, as I partake of that sacrament, and I really had a just a sweet, tender experience with this this past Sunday. It's fast Sunday in our ward because of a, 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 a few different things uh, with state conference and various things like that. General conference, general conference, uh, and 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 we actually had state conference, kind of messed us up in all of that as well. And so, you know that. That, that sweet experience is I'm at the altar, and I'm thinking about the beginning of Holy Week, as I'm thinking about on this day, what did he do, on the, and, and what's the significance. And I, and I hear that, you know, that they will always remember him. You know, we have a couple of ancestors in common, and, uh, and, I, and a couple of them I can really remember. I can remember your dad, my grandpa, very well. I, I know how he would react in certain situations. I know how he smelled when we were out working on the farm, is what we called it. I know how he treated other people when I worked with him at the dry cleaners. I know all of these things about my grandpa, but why do I know these things? Because I spent time with him, right? How am I to remember somebody who I never even knew? How am I to recall events that are significant in my life and in the lives of those who I love if I'm not aware of them, if I'm not deeply familiar with them, if I don't understand the significance and the symbolism and the eternal progression that comes from them? uh, I just think, and I'm going to submit this pretty strongly, that what we're talking about today, there's not a more important topic. There's just nothing more important that we could be talking about than the atonement, the redemption of Jesus Christ, the atonement and the redemption that comes through the atonement of Jesus Christ, and how that not just fixes what we do wrong, but fixes what is wrong on each of our lives. And I look really forward, Dave, to the opportunity that we're going to have going forward now to share this this podcast.
1: Thank, thank you, Scott. And uh, I just... Uh... Want you to know, and and uh, my family and my our our listeners, our friends, to know that um, you know I know that that the events of this week are true. Uh, the order we don't know, we don't have a perfect chronology or order to these things, but I know that uh, what Jesus and um, the Holy Ghost has borne witness of. Uh, to me, is that he suffered from every poor. And I know that he uh, was crucified for the sins of all the world. And I know, we didn't say enough about Sunday morning and the events of the resurrection, uh, but I know that he lives. And and knowing that makes all the difference. Yeah, indeed. Indeed.
0: You know, uh, and, and I'll just end with this. When uh, the crucifixion took place, it fulfilled the law uh, of Moses, and there were a lot of things that went away um, eventually because of that. One of those is the uh, sacrifices, and I just want to read a uh, uh, quote. This is from Elder Nil A. Maxwell in April General Conference of 1995, and he says this. He says, real personal sacrifice never was placing an animal on the altar. Instead, it is a willingness to put the animal in us upon the altar and letting it be consumed. If we accomplish nothing else in this life and we learn to do that, then I testify, I know, that we will have peace not just in this life and not just in our turmoil or not just in our in our happy times but in our turmoil and our difficult times so we'll have that peace through that here but we will have peace and joy and happiness in eternity um, and I and I absolutely know that to be true thanks Dave been a great thank you Scott been a great experience being with you here today uh, we look forward brothers and sisters ladies and gentlemen friends to the opportunity of being with you um, on a pretty frequent basis our plan is to uh, put one of these out uh, each week. Uh, We uh, have now uh, made that official by saying it to all of you. We hope that we're able to uh, uh, accomplish that. I think we'll be able to. Looking forward to being with you. Uh, We wish you all a very happy Easter. We wish you all a very happy life in all that you do. Remember, he loves you. Remember, he died for you. Remember, he lived for you. Remember, he still lives for you and is there for you. Just reach out to him. God bless. Take care, everybody.